Welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. And of course, uh, we had to do a left lefter leftist panel because things are happening in Canada. And we're going to talk about all of that. Uh, on the first half of the show, uh, we have Alex Grant, uh, editor of Fight Back magazine, frequent contributor to this. And the second half of the show, we're going to have Nora Loretto, who is uh, author, journalist, uh, you know her, uh, and she's going to be commenting on the same issues. So do stay tuned. I want to give a shout out before we even get going to uh, certainly uh, to Ken, Ken, um, who is our station manager, stepping down the program manager after, I don't know, at least 40 years on the job, something like that. Um, ever since CIUT has been CIUT, actually, it's 30 years on the job. Ken has been there. Oh, and uh, change up here. We've got Nora coming in right now. So we're going to have a little back and forth between Alex and Nora on the Radical Reverend Show. Nora, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. Hi. You're looking pretty. Your hair's grown since the last time we met. Uh, I just played soccer. Oh, so okay. Wet hair and you're seeing no glasses only because I... <laughs> I just haven't had time to do anything but get barely dressed. <laughs> Not that you can see any of us on the radio or on podcast, but, you know, just so you know, we're all gorgeous uh, here on the left, left or leftist panel. So, um, so Nora's not going to be on the second half of the show. We're going to all do it together. Uh, so yeah. Alex Grant, again, uh, editor of Fight Back magazine, uh, Nora Loretto, author of a number of books now and journalist, uh, and let's dive right in. The big news, of course, in Canada is the coalition between the NDP and the Liberals federally. Now, I know you both have a lot to say. Uh, Alex, we'll start with you. What's your take on it? Good news, bad news, something in the middle. Bad news. Very, very clearly bad news. Uh, it's not a coalition technically, but it is a coalition functionally. Really, three years, four budgets, the NDP is tied to the Liberals, right? The NDP is going to be tied to all of the Liberal weasel words. And the agreement between the, uh, the NDP and the Liberals is just full of your classic Liberal we aspire to, we, we, we hope to, we intend to, we have unicorns and dreams and ponies and all the rest of it. And I, I, but we find out it never happens. They've been promising all of these things since the Red Book 30 years ago. And, and the, but the NDP is tied to the non-promises and it's gonna be tied to all of the scandals. So I, I think uh, repeatedly, you know, Jami Singh was saying, so, oh, no, no, we'll still oppose them. It's like, none of that opposition means anything. It's like, well, all right, you, you can say whatever, they can say whatever they like in committee or whatever, or whatever piece of legislation about the Liberals, but then they vote for them. Okay, right? anecdotally, so uh, we know a couple of things. We know that not all of the caucus has supported this, but... Uh, Others are not forthcoming and saying that, obviously it would be very difficult to live there if they did, but they weren't given a lot of advance notice. So that much we know. The other aspect of this, of this deal is it, it, what seems to be most popular is the dental announcement. And as Jugmeet said, this is uh, the first major step forward in, in social services and broadening you know, uh, Tommy Douglas's original dream of Medicare in a generation. Alex, I, just comment on that before we go to Nora. Yeah, well, I, 
Justin Trudeau also said he was having too much fun doing this. And in the communications to the Liberal caucus, I think they pretty much said we got the NDP support for doing what we were going to do anyway. That's essentially what they told, especially the, the, the right wing of the, the Liberal caucus was just like, don't worry about it. We were going to do this stuff anyway. There's nothing, nothing different here. We, we just got a blank check from uh, uh, Jagmeet Singh. And yes, yeah, so a dental care, it were supposedly going to be, uh, what is it, for 12 year olds in this budget uh, in poor families. Well, many of the provinces already have that. I, th I think that you know, Nora lives in Quebec. I think it, you have that in Quebec. There, there's a form of uh, child dentistry in Ontario too and, and in other provinces. So it's gonna be quite limited, with, but what actually is gonna happen in this upcoming budget is military spending. 2% of GDP as demanded by NATO. And, and that's gonna be billions of dollars. I think, I think that's taking military spending from something like 26 to $36 billion potentially. We'll, we'll find out in the budget exactly how much. That'll make military spending higher than health transfers. Yeah, I, I think it was Goering who said guns before butter. Here it's guns before better services. All, all of the, uh, the so-called goodies that are coming from this deal, well, they're coming in 2015. 2025 or later on down the road, but the guns come today. Well, then, Nora, let's go to you, Nora Loretto, uh, talking about the deal between the federal mm -hmm. NDP and the Liberals. One thing I noticed right off the bat is there's nothing for First Nations, nothing for Indigenous in this, zero, zero, zero. But yeah. let's get your take. Nora, what do you think? Yeah, so Alex pretty much said what I would say, and so I guess I'll elaborate. Um, yeah, Quebec has universal dental coverage for children, not just low-income dental coverage, but I, I go and I pay with my health card for, the, for my kids. Um, and, and actually every province has either universal or some kind of low income uh, assistance, every single one. And so this promise is, is nothing. It is not actually doing anything other than making it sound as if people will finally get the dental care that they desperately need. Um, and so it's this incredibly cynical uh, move that allows the NDP to sidestep having an election uh, or having to, you know, support the liberals uh, on, on votes because they wouldn't want to have an election. We just saw that happen with the Emergencies Act and uh, and then claim that they had victory. And I think Alex outlined very, very well why that's not the case. Um, the numbers that I've seen thrown around for increasing military spending can be as high as 16 billion extra dollars. Um, I, I think it's a little unclear, actually, because they keep seeing journalists say, like, we're not actually sure what 2% of GDP would look like. Um, and this is it's very interesting because NATO has been calling for this for many, many years. They, they've been calling for, for a long time for member states to, to donate, donate, to give uh, two percent of their GDP to their their um, their military. And the liberals have refused. And so what has changed? It's like, oh, it's they're in they're in uh, military hawk mode. And what better way to get out of a global pandemic than to start a global war? It's um, it's really enraging. And I hate it. And a lot of people hate it and sh more people should hate it. And what I'm really interested in is, is the box that this puts the Ontario NDP in now that there's extremely loud calls for cooperation and cooperation, much to the chagrin of many members of the Ontario NDP caucus, 
means give over to the liberals, maybe have a couple of NDP uh, seats where it's winnable. But this is the only way the liberals will actually get the support um, to, to build back their caucus with a leader like Del Duca, who, I mean, has about as much charisma as a sponge wearing a tie. So it's it's going to be very interesting because the arguments against uh, working together at the provincial level have evaporated with this federal deal. And arguably the stakes are far higher provincially to stop Doug Ford. Um, and so I, I'm going to be enjoying watching them weaseling around out of that. And uh, all of this could have been avoided. <laughs> uh, speaking here on the Radical Reverend Show on our Left, Left, or Leftist panel with Nora Loretto and Alex Grant, uh, two who had been on the show before. Uh, I, I'll weigh in a little bit here, um, having been on the inside there for way, way, way too many years <laughs> um, on, on strategic aspects. I mean, this, this kind of makes the NDP the research and development wing of the Liberal Party, uh, as I've described them. Uh, and, uh, and certainly strategic, I, I certainly get off the record comments I've heard is why couldn't they have waited just a couple of months? I mean, there was no urgency to do this and just give the Ontario NDP a chance because now most NDPers are going to be walking into an election where they're fighting Liberals. Uh, as a voter, what's the diff? Vote for one, vote for the other. Uh, you're going to see strategic voting like we've never seen it before, but also the pressure to cooperate. And, and of course, you know, the Liberal, uh, the NDP's overall, you know, strategy for, for years and years and years now has been they hoped to replace the Liberal Party and have you know, them be the Labour Party and the Conservatives be Conservative Party like the UK, that has never happened, but they seem to be still on that tangent. You don't hear the word socialist much in the uh, NDP. I mean, you hear it more from Bernie Sa Sanders than you do from, from the NDP here. Um, so, so Alex, you didn't comment about the provincial election that's coming up really soon, June 2nd uh, in Ontario. What do you think the effect's going to be on that? Well, yes, I, I think it totally undermines the, the argument that the NDP is fundamentally different from the Liberals. Uh, I, actually, one thing I wanted to talk about is this is also a gift to Polyev. That's, uh, that's I don't know, maybe we could get into that later. Or, but uh, in, yeah, the provincial election, yes, that why would you preferentially vote NDP when the Liberals are and the NDP are neck and neck? And it's actually a gift to Doug Ford as well, because that's going to lead to more split votes. And then uh, Ford comes up the middle that you pre previously in the last election, you had Unifor and the OFL supporting strategic voting, which aided the Conservatives. Strategic voting against Conservatives actually pushed votes towards the Liberals, which helped the Conservatives split the anti conservative vote which was mostly NDP and I let the let the conservatives win so yeah it's a disaster from that perspective um speak about the impact on conservatives a little bit more go down that uh, rabbit hole Alex before I let you go uh sure. you know I I mean certainly the the recent polling that we've seen and again polling schmoling but uh seems to have uh Doug Ford up again Interestingly, when you look at the poll, it's like they hate everything he's doing, but they're going to vote for him is kind of what the polling is saying. Speak about that a little bit, Alex. Well, it's because, because there's no opposition. There's why would you vote for the NDP? And, and, and I guess nobody's voting for the Liberals. Nobody's voting for Del Duca. It's more just genetic memory uh, voting for the Liberals. But... 
the the NDP is giving nothing really for people to get excited about. Even okay, the, the banner thing of a twenty dollar minimum wage. Well, that that's uh, that's not a bad slogan by itself. But when you look at the details, it's five years from now. And that's all going to be eaten up by inflation with five, six percent inflation. Who knows how high it's going to go? That's all going to be eaten up by inflation. So that's just keeping your head above water. Twenty dollars minimum wage in five years. So, Alex, I would, before we go on into the effect on, on our right wing uh, in Canada, let's uh, I just want to get your take on Andrea Horvath just announced this help for uh, young families, presumably buying their first home. So lending them the down payment and then having it paid back. What do you think of that? I think that's totally the wrong way to approach housing. I, I, I got a, uh, into a little bit of a Facebook back and forward with Joe Harden over this, uh, that uh, he, he was going door knocking and saying, oh, NDP is calling for us of a billion dollars to uh, solve the housing crisis. When in fact, none of that is going, or almost none of that is going to publicly owned housing or social housing. It's, it's either going into these handouts, which actually just feed into a, inflating the housing bubble, or it's going to renovations to existing uh, housing stock. So vote NDP and things will get worse slower than the other parties. It's not inspiring. Nora, back to you. Uh, first on this, uh, the, the Horvath promised to help out uh, families buying uh, their first home presumably um, that's what it's about thoughts yeah okay so I haven't I haven't heard this at all I'm reading it right now and I see that the promise is um, providing 10% of the value of the property as a loan for first-time home buyers but uh, Alex is completely right that's not a way to deal with this housing price uh, the housing crisis at all um, it's also really interesting that it would be a percentage. Uh, so you'd be basically giving people like buying more property, more expensive property, more help, <laughs> which is quite a perverse incentive if you think about it for literally three seconds. Um, and it's uh, it just flows money directly into the into the housing market. Like that's not where public money needs to be going. Public money needs to be paying for public housing. And if you were going to start building units, public quality public housing units that people would want to live in, which is not the stuff of fantasy, it's po completely possible and would be um, a, a market intervention that would actually do something because it would put downward pressure on prices. It would it would open up uh, spaces for people who are trying to get places to live that are stable. Um, th that would be uh, a good step. I mean, that wouldn't even be revolutionary. That would be a good step. Um, but instead, um, the Ontario NDP is choosing to continue uh, to, to ride this overinflated housing market. You know, Canada is an outlier in the world in the way that our housing market is like the biggest part of the economy. And it's it skyrocketed during the election. It's horrifying that we speculate uh, off of people's lives, off of shelter that people need to live in. And, you know, I think of the community that I grew up in, which um, is just a small town uh, on Highway 7 that, uh, you know, you can buy a house in, in, in the 1980s for $180,000. And these houses are going for millions of dollars now because that's just how it is. It's just normal. Like no one has the money for that. And so the only way you can get the money for that is by playing 
uh, all of the speculative games that you have to play to, to be able to, to jump to your first million or two million or three million uh, uh, dollar uh, property. Um, and so this, it's this kind of thing that will make the NDP uh, indistingu indistinguishable from the liberals and actually opens left, left wing space for the liberals to come up with something better um, because it is so not progressive. The liberals could come up with any number of liberal schemes and confuse voters into thinking that the liberals are the progressive option in this election. Um, and if they're figuring, if they're doing this with housing and housing is such an important location for, I mean, for obvious reasons, but it's also an important location because the developing, the developers world is 100% behind Doug Ford. And so like Doug Ford is the developer's voice at Queens Park. He will always be the developer's voice at Queens Park. And if the Ontario NDP can't fight on that, like they're not going to fight on anything. Like this is literally the most important issue uh, because it touches people so much. And to, to come up with a promise that's that's like, what the hell is this? Uh, it, it, it's definitely a bad signal for where the back room of that party is at right now. And, and it's expensive too. Like yes. You could, you could actually get stuff done with that money, but then, they, then they're just uh, putting it out in a useless fashion. Yeah. And not uh, just expensive, but it'll climb, right? It'll be like more expensive over the mandate of the next, well, like imagine NDP government in four years. It's just, it's completely ridiculous. It's a complete gift to developers too, of course. Uh, it makes one think that th this is a kind of small C conservative move, it seems to me. Um, it's like NDP going after developers' money as if they would, as if they, mm -hmm. you, you know, in any dream that the NDP might have. They do support the Liberals too. Uh, the Liberals have a lot of development money behind them. Uh, I, I had a guest on not long ago who was talking about Toronto, just Toronto specifically, and that there were enough empty properties in Toronto, just sitting empty, where landlords and owners had no interest in having anybody live in them because they're such good investments, right? And just oh, put yeah. the money in, let them fall into the ground and they'll just go up by, you know, 10% a year anyway. Actually, uh, actually I remember the numbers behind that. Yeah. And, and so, so, so just to, to, to finish the thought here. Um, so if only taking over those properties, if you just took over those properties, you would house every homeless person in Toronto. Alex, you wanted to weigh in here. Yeah. It's actually 65,000 empty properties and in, in Toronto, and there are 10,000 street involved homeless people. In Toronto, yeah. So, so you could, uh, you could yeah. house every homeless person six times over, and that would be way, way cheaper <laughs> than the NDP plan. You know, um, as would inclusionary zoning, which nobody seems to be able to get off the ground. Um, okay, let's talk strategically, though. I, I don't want to leave this uh, alone yet. Uh, and and also, if you've just tuned in, we're talking to Nora Loretto and Alex Grant here on the Radical Reverend Show. Um, but yeah, where do you go? As a voter, what do you do? You know, uh, here we are in a province at this particular time where quite frankly, the leadership of unions leave something to be desired coming out of COVID. Uh, Alex, you referenced that with some of the maneuvers of Unifor and now, you know, other problems at Unifor as well. Um, but, you know, the NDP is like our party, right? Uh, what do we do? Where do we go? How do we do it? Alex. Well, I, I'd, I'd uh... <laughs> people uh, thing is actually I, I talk about the labor movement a bit because sure. in the in 2018 the ofl supported strategic voting and it was a disaster and at the last ofl convention they rejected that 
and uh, called for an NDP vote. And in some ways, that is a step forward. It's better than a liberal vote. It's like, but one step forward, but two steps back. The, the OFL is doing a big rally on May Day. Actually, traditionally, May Day is not a big thing in Ontario. And there's going to be a big rally on May Day OFL. Fantastic. Okay, unions get involved on May Day. But what it is, it is an, an NDP election rally and an uncritical vote NDP rally. And it's like everything from Bob Ray has been forgotten. It's like, look, support the NDP, but don't be uncritical. Actually, if you're uncritical, you don't help the NDP because what happens is the right wing comes in and pushes them right. And there's no left wing pressure uh, to keep them left. And the right wing chews them up and spits them out. And, and to be honest, there's not that many reforms uh, to chew up and spit out. So they're just going to go further to the right. Right, so I'm in favor of the OFL doing an election rally, but it should be an re election rally for $20 now, for anti-scab now, for public housing and social housing now, and put that pressure on the NDP. And that will push the whole zeitgeist left and actually help the NDP to win. It will help the NDP to win to push the uh, population left, but not acritically. Nora, if not the NDP, what? I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of spoiling your ballot. I'm a big fan of voting for parties that are smaller, potentially. I mean, I have the privilege for, that I have not been faced with the crisis of who do I vote for for a very long time, because provincially we have Quebec Solidaire and they're, with all their faults, still, I mean, in another universe of the left compared to the NDP. Um, but I think that the, like, the pandemic has shown that the NDP is not like it's not an option for left-wing politics. It's just not. I mean, the, the, what you would have to do to make it would be just taking the whole thing over, firing people, running them out of town. I know a lot of those folks, it's very, very hard to do that. They're very clever um, and they protect themselves before they protect anything else. And, um, and, and so I, like, I, I really encourage people to untether themselves from partisan politics. Like Doug Ford's going to win again. You know, you can do whatever work you want to try and work for your local candidate. And maybe you've got a really wonderful NDP representative that you want to get reelected and that's fine. Um, but if Doug Ford, when Doug Ford wins again, it's the, it's the, 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 the organized masses in, in, in orientation towards issues that are the, that are the most important because we've already seen that the official opposition is quite impotent. Um, and it's tough because, you know, again, I look in Quebec and the official opposition in Quebec, they have the ability to do things. They have brought down, like they've, they've managed to stop in its tracks certain bills that the, that the CAC government has wanted to put through and they've got the votes to do it. Um, but in Ontario, I don't know if it's fewer mechanisms or if there's less courage or if there's less coordination or whatever, but there has been no parliamentary opposition to Doug Ford of any of any significance. Um, and so I think that anybody looking for what they're supposed to do now, pick the issue that you really care about and figure out who's organizing around it and get involved in organizing that. Um, because without that leftward pressure on the ground, the NDP is absolutely hopeless. And with that leftward pressure on the ground, the NDP might actually respond to demanding certain things like the NDP calling for a $20 minimum wage uh, is in however many years is, is not because uh, the policy was just a good idea. It was because, you know, activists have put pressure on them. Um, and so when you untether yourself from partisan politics, there's a whole world that opens up. 
and uh, and it's and it's quite liberating. And so I think that that's really important for people uh, to to keep in mind, especially as the pressure for you know getting involved in party party politics in the next couple of weeks is going to really ramp up. Uh, and just I'll weigh in a little bit here. Uh, you're listening to the Radical Reverend Show with Alex Grant and Nora Loretto on. And of course, we're talking about the deal federally, which we should get back to at some point, but also its impact on provincial politics. We have an election in Ontario uh, June 2nd. Uh, I would say there, there are mechanisms are different from uh, Quebec to here uh, in the sense that a majority government here is a dictatorship. Uh, the majority government here can do anything they want, which, um, which on another kind of hand, uh, really uh, puts Bob Ray and his predecessor, uh, Horgan in BC in an even worse light because they have, uh, Horgan has and Ray had the opportunity to completely rewrite this province in the way that Mike Harris did and did not do so. So when they had majorities. Uh, having said that, yes, um, there's still many, many things you can do in opposition, uh, even as a third party uh, to get you know, bills turned into laws. I think I had a hand in some of that when I was there. So I know you can do it. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be being done, no doubt about that at all. Um, before we let provincial politics go though, let's talk about Horgan. Uh, did not bring in a 10, 10 day sick, sick <laughs> paid sick day policy uh, at war with a you know, wet suetin. Uh, how many ways can do we not love you, um, Alex? Talk about Horgan for a minute. Yeah, so so th this is just an example of the NDP in power and why it's not uh, attractive to people, right? So people who want fundamental change, it's like well, you don't get that through the present leadership of the NDP. And, and actually, I, I wanted to respond br briefly to what Nora said. I totally appreciate people with that perspective. That somebody who says, "Look, all of these parties are the same, and I'm sick of them." and I'm not voting, I'm not gonna try and convince them not to vote. Absolutely. Uh, but also a lot of people will be looking at saying, how do we defeat the conservatives? And, and, people, and people do engage with electoral politics. And so those who do, unfortunately, they, you don't have another choice in Canadian politics except for the NDP. It still has an organic link with the trade unions. And even though, and, and actually that is the key to the party like, I, I don't think anything that interesting is going to happen in the NDP in the short term, or medium term even. But we've seen increased class struggle, and there is a possibility of actually revolutionizing the unions. And the unions can play a, a huge role in rather than backing up the NDP uh, bureaucracy, but demanding that they actually act. So, uh, but, uh, but that's a longer struggle. And I would definitely say to people, put your emphasis in... Uh, industrial struggle or struggle on the streets and stuff like that, rather than electoral parliamentary politics, which, and yes, you've seen Horgan and the Wet'suwet'en and uh, environmental crisis that done very little, COVID did very little. And so that just feeds into a lack of enthusiasm. Okay, so I'm gonna be a little bit more of, a, I'm clearly on the, you know, the right wing of the left, left or leftist panel on this issue. Um, so what do I do? I support people in the NDP financially, who I think uh, are kind of a way forward. And you're right. And, and the, the major reason to me, um, Alex, to support the NDP is that they are as close as we get to a Labour Party. That is to say, that's where the union votes tend to go and organize labor. Now, having said that, there's, as I touched on, there's a problem with union leadership. And so uh, change the union leadership, 
change the NDP, change the NDP leadership, change the NDP would be the way I would kind of go um, until we see something else. You know, I, I, you know, I just watch Borgen, you know, like if we had not first past the post, but we had proportional representation, maybe another party would be a possibility, but that's probably, you know, a pipe dream. So, um, so let's let's talk about the other big issue, of course, that's Canadian and that's local, and that somehow hasn't made it as one of the top uh, discussion points so far in the uh, campaign for June second, and that is COVID, of course, and the COVID response. Nora, you've written a book on this. Um, um, but uh, you know, one of the shocking little details in in Ontario politics is we saw Del Duca come out uh, announcing, you know, some of his platform with a super spreader event with lots of people all crowded into a room with no masks. This is the Liberal, and his people, most of them, I would think, support some masking in situations like that. Uh, Nora, let's go to, to you and let's talk about uh, the Ford response to COVID, the response generally to COVID, and, uh, and why this isn't a major issue in the upcoming mm -hmm. election. Well, it's because there's no party that has had a very clear understanding of what has happened during the pandemic. There's no party that can say, we've been saying do X, Y, Z, and now's the time, elect us and we'll do X, Y, Z. Um, and COVID is changing. You know, I was at a QP Ontario meeting where most of the people were not wearing masks. Um, and it was the first event uh, that was held in, in person. So I, I think that I think that on the individual level, people are like, there's a lot of peer pressure. So people who otherwise would absolutely be wearing masks, if someone in the room was like, put on your mask and they would. And if no one in the room said, put on your mask, they're like, okay, I won't. I, I think that a lot of people are there actually. Um, and, you know, the reality of the virus right now is that everyone has a lot of direct experience with it. Um, either they've had it or they've, everybody they know has it. Um, and so it's really, it's a different kind of pandemic. It's, it's direct. It's, we see, we can literally see the impact on our family and friends, or we've experienced it ourselves. Um, and so it requires a completely different uh, communication strategy. It requires a completely different way of managing uh, the pandemic. Um, and of course, it hasn't been managed properly at all anyway. And I suspect that the NDP doesn't know what to call for, that they that they really don't that beyond, you know, there's some basic things like, you know, put the mask mandate that in place and get masks in schools or whatever. There's really it's not that clear, I think, if you're a little bit unsure about how to respect the fact that people are in a different headspace than they were a year ago. Vaccinations are so high. So what exactly are we supposed to do? Um, now, there's a lot of really simple answers to that question. They could make third dose vaccinations a priority because we know that, of course, those have stalled and that'd be very easy to do. You can do them in schools, um, which, again, would be very easy to do the, the first and second doses for children. Um, there's uh, there, there's just so much. I mean, there's there's obviously paying people to stay home from work is a really basic one. Um, and rather than saying paid sick days because it's bureaucratic and boring, like literally saying like pay people to self-isolate when they have COVID. Um, but there's just no creativity. And I think that there's a real um, there's a real reticence or, or maybe it's cowardice or maybe it's not understanding the situation well enough. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. And as someone that has done the level of research that I've done, I mean, I've only had two politicians contact me about my research outside of my friends, my friends who are elected. 
Two, one federal NDP MP, one federal liberal MP. That is it. And so it's like, there's just no, you know, if you're, there's no idea from, I think the broad left, the social democratic left about what exactly we should be doing right now. And they're also stymied by the fact that um, the, the, it's not popular necessarily. You have to popularize a lot of these ideas and, um, and the far right has done such a a good job at, at owning the narrative and popularizing it. Um, and I think that people are afraid of that. Uh, certainly uh, we're not reporting. So there's an Orwellian little twist. I mean, we just don't tell people when people get sick uh, that's in schools and other, you know, congregate settings. Uh, and certainly I'm hearing from workers all the time in healthcare and education, education primarily who are genuinely frightened and who have people who are immunocompromised at home, um, who have children that have, you know, disabilities and issues um, at, that now are, are, feel like prisoners in their own homes talk about lockdown <laughs> um, yeah. and don't feel like they're safe in their classrooms anymore because they just don't know who has it and who doesn't and everybody's going um, so there is there is that uh, let's let's switch uh, um, and Nora you kind of started in that direction uh, we've talked about this before on left left or leftist and I, I still want to talk about it because I'm still not clear on it the right wing as you said has done such a good job um, from the from the you know trucker convoy uh, to uh, simply you know basically bombarding us through mainstream media and on social media about their policies and platforms and you know uh, Pierre is a good one because I noticed the language he was using stand up to the bankers stand up to the elite or we have the People's Party which mm -hmm. quite frankly the era that I come from sounds like a Maoist party <laughs> I mean so the language that's being used by the right is even the language of the left um, uh, Alex we've talked about this before but let's go there again because they certainly uh, are, are dominating these days in terms of messaging. Uh, why is that? What can we do about it? Yeah, well, actually, let's segue from COVID that the government messaging was consistently hypocritical. It was attacking anybody on personal freedoms. So it was clamping down on anything that is personal freedoms while no restrictions on anything that's corporate profiteering. And, and people saw the hypocrisy, right? Why can I go to work or can go to work in the Amazon warehouse with hundreds of other people with no distancing, but I can't go see grandma? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And the, the convoy crew and uh, Polyev and the freedom folks, you know, they say, oh, in the hypocrisy. And of course, they're in the hypocrisy of removing all healthcare measures, and now healthcare workers are very, very concerned. Like removing the mask, that's the very least you could do was wear a mask for, for Christ's sake. And, but now they've given up, they've totally given up. And now I guess, well, a hundred people die every day in Canada and that's just the cost of doing business. But if with a proper response that yes, had actually workers control of health and safety in, in the workplace, we could, we could have ended the pandemic back in the summer of 2020. It could have been all done, right? If, if it was a proper lockdown and then people, yes, paid to stay home and, pay, and, and retrained as uh, contact tracers. But now we've got into this situation, it's totally unmanageable. And it's like, yeah, we, yeah, immunocompromised people, they're just going to die now. 
or, or have long COVID. It, it's, it's utterly scandalous. Uh, part of this, of course, is, uh, is the control over the vaccination process and the vaccination product by big pharma yes. in the sense that, uh, I mean, it's a perfect petri dish for, for breeding new variants because so few in the developing, developing quotes and quotes world have access to vaccinations at all. So, uh, so you've got um, in the West a highly vaccinated uh, population, whereas you know in countries that have no money, too bad, so sad, they can't afford it. Um, very different from you know giving away the patent, which we saw, for example, in past pandemics. Um, but to get back to the right wing, Nora, um, right wing messaging all over the news. Of course, they own it partly, but uh, but also, uh, but you know, pretty you know pretty on on track and using left language for sure and appealing to you know the worker against the elites you know we, we're seeing all mm -hmm. of that coming out of the right um, so um, what's what's the strategy and uh, how how does somebody on the left uh, begin to approach it and deal with it yeah, well, they use it because it's popular, which we know, like people like to hear the language of oppression, they like to hear fighting for the little guy, they like to hear that the elites will finally get what they deserve, right? And somehow it's the, the you know, we've seeded the ground to the far right to use these terms, because the left is obsessed with words like fairness and fair share and mealy mouth garbage that is like, what the hell does that even mean? Like what PR company did you pay to come up with that? And then of course, there's always an answer to that question. There's, there's such a disconnection between a disconnect between leadership or people deciding these things and, and average people that it's, it's just on display in how the rhetoric from left-wing organizations often, I mean, not everybody, but you know, let's talk generally, um, how, how it, how it, how it hits the ground. Um, and so seeing, you know, seeing the, the, the freedom convoy, like say, we're in Ottawa and we're taking over government. You know, you can look at that and you can laugh and say, okay, like that's not possible, but good luck. Uh, and you'd be snide about it. And of course, you know, people should make fun of it. But like, isn't that what average people want to see is other people, average people saying we are fed up with everything and we are just taking over government. Like that's what average people want. Like I, you know, just everything sucks. Oh wow, this, these people are gonna fight fight the government. That sounds great. So you know, we we have to keep in mind where these kinds of messages come from. They are they are left wing ideas. They are, they come from left wing struggle. We can trace almost every one of the messages that they have back to some sort of left wing thing. Right down to my body, my choice. My God, and um, and and then rather than being angry and snide about these like white supremacists taking up this space, we have to say, wait, what? how do we cede this space to them in the first place? So, and this is very important going back to the Ontario election that like, you know, people like the NDP has already kicked out a, um, a someone who's gonna run for them for calling uh, Doug Ford a murderer, like, because he hasn't actually murdered anybody. Like, this is the kind of thing that's like, Wow, is there no poetic license anymore? Like, can we not say, like, state claimly that there was a targeted process of state-sanctioned murder, state-coordinated murder in the last two years, and that the state could have done things to keep people alive? We, there's a whole list of things that they could have done, and some of them wouldn't have cost anything. Some of them would have been completely possible, and they wouldn't have costed anything. Like, 
targeting low-income neighborhoods, targeting racialized neighborhoods, making sure that people uh, who were the most marginalized were first in line to get vaccines, all this kind of thing. Uh, but no, they didn't do any of that. And so if, 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 if the, the center of the left or the right of the left is unable to, to tolerate radical language that meets people where they are, of course the far right's going to take it. Alex, you wanted to get in on this. Yeah, absolutely. That This brings us back to the top of the show when we were talking about the Liberal NDP deal. One of the major, the introduction of that deal was saying, oh, there's too much polarization. We need collaboration. But the reality is the polarization is real. The polarization is a class polarization. The polarization is the crisis in society. And there's a polarization to the left and to the right. And that is entirely natural to capitalism in crisis. And people are looking for fundamental alternatives to the status quo. And if the left, the NDP, hugs the liberals, hugs the establishment status quo and props them up. Who is the anti-establishment? It's Pierre Polyev, it's Maxime Bernier. And that is only going to lead to a rise of the far right. That's, that is the outcome of all this moderation and coalition and propping up the liberals. The only, if, if you don't like the status quo and hell, there is a lot of reasons not to like the status quo. Who's opposed to the status quo? It's Polyev, it's the convoy, it's Bernier, it's all of these people. And so, and, and then you've also got people saying you shouldn't protest the far right and using sort of identity politics excuses for that. No, you must pol uh, protest the far right. You must face them down on the streets because actually there's more, more than us, more of us than them. If you poll the population, sentiments are overwhelmingly left-wing. Just our leaders are cowards. And they have leaders that are unapologetic and don't care and then just and mobilize people and aren't afraid to mobilize people. Okay, so I'm gonna jump in here a little bit. I mean, we, we have kind of circled back to what we started the show off with here on the Radical Reverend Show uh, you are listening to. I'm your host, Sherry DeNovo. And by the way, we love to hear from you. Uh, please send your comments, questions, anything in. I always respond. We've got Nora Loretto, we've got Alex Grant, um, both known to you uh, out there in listener land. Um, so the, the deal between the Liberals and the NDP seems to be, and this is anecdotal, I haven't seen any polling on it or anything like that, but seems to be very, very popular. And now, of course, it's being talked about because people want to see Doug Ford defeated uh, in the, from the progressive middle to the left, I will say. Um, uh, but I want to, so I want to talk about solutions uh, and, and move into that direction. If we've rejected that as a solution, if we've said that moving to everybody in the center, you know, NDP, liberal, can't much tell the difference, um, get together, work together, you know, save democracy or whatever the spin is, uh, what, how does the left, first of all, take back our language? How do we, to quote a uh, title of your book, uh, Nora, take back the fight? How do we uh, get going on this and, uh, and start to, to meet the right, you know, where they are uh, being effective, which is sadly in many instances, I mean, yes, it's, it's a broad stroke to say this is working class is, is funded by a whole lot of money and a whole lot of elite, but, but they are absolutely uh, giving voice to some elements of the working class. What do we do, Nora? We have to organize. 
And it's, and I think that people feel like they have been organizing, they've been doing everything they can, whatever, or, or my organization is just staying safe, safe right now. Right. Like that's my organizing. It's not sufficient. It like, you know, obviously at the individual level, people need to do what they're going to do and they're going to get through this pandemic, however, the safest and most effective way is for them. But anybody that calls himself an organizer, anyone that, that, that thinks that they have a role to play in organizing has to do it, has to call meetings, has to see people in real life, do these things in parks or do these things in large spaces where we can be spread out. And this is happening, right? There, there is organizing happening uh, around, um, certainly I've seen truck drivers in the Workers Action Center and uh, Warehouse Workers United in, 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 in the Peel region. Like there's some really great things happening, but it needs to be everybody. It's all hands on deck organizing right now because we've just gone through two years of an incredibly a radicalizing crash education moment for average people to say, oh, wow, they actually did prefer that we die. You know, all of the rhetoric that, 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 that the three of us and so many other people have been saying for years and years and years, and it takes a while to get through to people because it sounds like we're conspiracy theorists. And all of a sudden this pandemic happens and it's like, oh, wow. Okay. No, now I see what's going on. People are ready to be organized. And so we absolutely need to organize. We need to have open mass spaces. We have to have diverse actions for people to get involved. And as Alex said, we have to confront the far right when we have the chance or, and, or we have to create spaces the way that the far right has created spaces. I mean, the truckers convoy in Quebec city was a big party. It was just a big party and it was obnoxious. And they, I mean, for those of us that live downtown, it's just, it was, it was such a nightmare for, I mean, we weren't Ottawa, so it was only a couple of days, but, uh, but everybody there was partying and it was, it was a complete release from what they've experienced and it was safe. It was all outside, right? They did it in the way that was actually safe, um, as safe as we can get in this pandemic. And so we need to take this moment and do that throw events, throw parties, get people back together, start rebuilding these connections between uh, one another that have been so badly damaged during this pandemic because no one else is going to do it. <laughs> it's going to be us. Okay. On, on, on that note. Um, yeah. On the trucker convoy, I, I, I want to get into the a little bit of, of some of the, the, I almost want to call it theology behind the moment, the movement rather than psychology, but you know, there is this, there is a right wing behind the right wing truckers convoy and it is pretty scary. It's anti-science. It's pretty medieval uh, in tone and pretty objectionable and pretty violent and racist and all of that. So let's not uh, forget about that. Um, I do wanna give a shout out to, just because you, you uh, both have mentioned organizing and this uh, in Toronto, if you're around April 7th, um, at Simcoe Park, uh, there's a huge demonstration along with Indigenous to confront uh, the Royal Bank of Canada who are investing more billions in fossil fuels. Uh, so enough that they've already hugely invested in fossil fuels, but they're going to be putting even more money into that, which of course directly strikes at the heart of Indigenous rights. So, um, so that's going to be a big party, we hope, uh, in S Simcoe Park. Uh, that's this uh, April 7th. And uh, yeah, I think it's around noon, but don't, I don't have that figure with me, um, but check it out and uh, be there. It should be nice weather as well. Um, so let's talk about, uh, no, I'm gonna start uh, back with you and then we'll, we'll go to Alex on this because um, I don't, I don't wanna give them an inch uh, on the right here. Let's, let's talk about the racism and the, the anti-science of that because that's, that's absolutely um, in your face uh, and yet 
what do we do about that? It's not just about organizing. It's about it's about the theology, philosophy, you know, sociology behind it. What's going on? Well, I would argue it is about organizing, even even with that. And and I think that on the left we have focused so much on that reality of the, the convoy that I've been spending more time talking about what we can learn from them. Um, because I think that it's very, very clear that um, that white supremacist organizing has infiltrated, has created, has driven, like the leadership are, are rabid racists. All of this stuff is very true and has been what has been focused on, right? And, and it was done in such a cynical way, again, because, you know, the liberals, it's perfect. It's just like, you know, against these guys because they're full on Nazis and we're going to fight Nazism, right? I mean, until until we start sending, you know, weapons to the Azov Battalion. But anyway, um, and so it's it's very, um, it, it's, it is important though, you know, to, to underline that this is the basis of their, of their world, but we fight it by organizing because it is not the case that everyone present uh, believes in these things, might not even be aware of these things. So like, I know people that went to convoys and tried to talk to people and gave them information and gave them in explanations for all of the conspiracy stuff, but like actually the, the, the conspiracy you seek is capitalism, right? Doing that kind of education is really, really important. Um, and, uh, and, and then again, fighting the far right. And so like the reason why the far right has had such success there is because it was an anti-establishment movement while the, the rest of society was, was, was kind of cajoled into being pro-government because government was pro-science. And so a lot of us on the left found ourselves totally criticizing the government, but very alone because the, the, the establishment groups on the left were like, no, 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 like we're gonna go with the, the government. We're like, we're gonna, we're gonna enforce mandates and we're gonna do all of these things that everyone remembers. But we have to keep our eye on the, on the prize here, right? Like we have to do, there's education that's necessary, talking about how governments have failed. And we also need to be critical, not just from uh, the perspective of like, we need, um, we need to continue uh, uh, the, the lockdowns forever because I think that that's the, the, the trap, right? It's that we become the pro lockdowns forever side. And I don't think that that's where we're at anymore. There's, there's a lot more interesting things that we could be fighting for that, that would keep people safe. Um, but like, we also have to understand that this is the fault of a government, a federal government that, that, that decided to, to, to suck and blow on the vaccines, on the vaccines, that it was vaccines are the, are the solution to this pandemic, but we're not mandating vaccination. And because it, we're not mandating vaccination, I mean, it's going to be 20% of Canadians that will not get vaccinated. And so we will do nothing about those 20% except get other Canadians to just scream about how much they hate that last 20% rather than trying to manage people and making sure that there's not pockets of people who are unvaccinated, right? Like there's not on a shift with nurses, there's one person that might be unvaccinated rather than 10, right? There's a totally big difference between those two things. We never got our heads wrapped around this on the left. And I think again, it left us exposed because there's so many contradictions in the vaccine protocols and policies and all this kind of thing that when we were just saying, get vaccinated, get vaccinated, we were, we were not able to articulate how governments were still failing at the vaccination process or, or, or cause or campaigns or whatever. And then it's just like, becomes kind of this raw, raw, like team Toronto, we're vaccinating everyone. It's like, then why are you not doing it in schools? Shut up. <laughs> like, oh, okay. That's all you got. So, you know, we have to be very clear eyed about why this was so popular um, and, and understand that it wasn't massively popular, but we have to engage with it. And that I think a lot of people have a lot of uh, difficulty with. And it's not like everybody has to engage with it. You don't have to be the person fighting the Nazi directly. You can maybe have a friend that does that on your behalf. 
I was just going to say, because like, you know, if you if you start engaging with the trolls on Twitter, man, that's a dark rabbit hole to go down. Alex, uh, what about the, you know, the anti-science, uh, racist? What about that on, on the right? I mean, it's not just all working class angst that's been channeled in the not. wrong direction. Mm -hmm. No, the, the people behind the convoy are some very scary right wing people, far right people. And but the, the danger is you cannot that uh, they got about 30 percent public support. And you, you do have to understand that and you have to understand how to defeat it and how to convince because 30 percent of the population aren't fascists. And, and you win these debates in the concrete, not in the abstract. You can't just be yelling racist, racist, racist. That that just. Uh, that doesn't work for the people who support uh, these groups. It's just like, oh, we've, we, you just yell racist and, and, and it's not true, you just lie, right? So you've actually got to see, what do these people say? For, for actually, for example, right now, there is a strike movement of, of dump truck drivers in the suburbs of uh, Toronto. And, uh, and this is a thoroughly working class movement. They've been underpaid for decades. The truckers convoy, quote unquote, truckers convoy has nothing to do with them because it's not a working class movement, the, the anti-vax convoy. But you, know, you need to and you need to point out those contradictions. No, you'd be genuinely pro working class, actual trucker, decent wage rates, health and safety. Right. You have these arguments in the concrete and you are right not to trust the government. Because the government is perfectly prepared to sacrifice working class people for corporate profits. And, and you get, but tell people, look, trust your co-workers. Trust your co-workers, democratic control of your co-workers. And yes, organizations that fight. Only organizations that are fight and are present and actually doing something can have some credibility, unlike the unions who've just been backing up the government. And, and, and in terms of, yes, organizing, you know, there's three different types of organizing. There's the ballot box, there's the workplace, and then there's the street. And 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 some you know, and things don't look great on the ballot box. There's the other two venues which uh, you put your energies there. You put your energies on the part of the battlefield where you can make the most advance. And and in terms of you know, uh, organizing against the far right, you know, my organization fight back. We organized against uh, Bernier at. Uh, ex-university formerly known as Ryerson and, and, and scared him away. And, and on, uh, what is it, April 23rd, we've been part of launching a campaign, picket lines mean do not cross, about doing an education campaign to bolster picket lines and create that uh, educational role in society to understand the importance of never crossing a picket line. But people should, people should join whichever organization uh, corresponds to their values but you've got to get active. You can't just be passive. Certainly the theme of the show, uh, if you've been listening, you've been listening to the Radical Reverend Show, Nora Loretto and Alex Grant. Um, and this will be on podcast. It's broadcast, of course, through CIET, 89.5 FM. Shout out to CIET. It is still the only completely independent um, radio station in Toronto on the GTHA. So Keep on keeping on. Uh, we broadcast from Buffalo to Barrie and Kitchener to Coburg. Uh, so we do that. And of course, the show then goes into podcast, which sits around forever. We just have like a few minutes left. Um, yes, we've talked about how to organize people who might be part of the convoy, but who, you know, are open to, to being organized and talking to other people and other points of view. Um, 
but I, but interestingly, just to segue back to the beginning again, can we also talk to liberals? I mean, often the NDP is really good at attacking liberals uh, when in fact, that's probably the happy hunting ground for, for the left. Are people who see themselves as progressive, but uh, COVID might've been push, pushing just a little bit more to the left than the liberal party. Uh, is there hope there too? Nora, just a minute yes. on this. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think that, that that is so you're so right to remind us about this. There's a lot of political education that does have to happen because a lot of people don't know what Dalton McGuinty got up to. And they just remember this kind of like final days of Kathleen Wynne being like not that bad. Dalton McGuinty, you know, destroyed higher education, didn't undo the, many of the worst ravages of Mike Harris. Like the guy is trash. So yes, we need to mobilize and organize and educate liberals. And I, I have a lot of hope actually in that. Um, but it's probably not going to be very effective during a, an election period because people's partisan sympathies are so at high alert. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when you mentioned Dalton, I was there at G20. Um, I remember it very, very well. How quickly a government can take complete control. Even the backbenchers, even the liberals didn't know what was happening. And we were sitting in government at that time. Um, when they brought in that stupid meter rule. But anyway, we could, that as a topic for another show. Alex, uh, organizing liberals. Well, I, I think 80% of liberals are actually, in terms of their sentiments, are closer to the NDP than they are to the Liberal Party. And they just vote liberal because, uh, to keep out the conservatives. And, and the idea is actually, the, the NDP Ratchik, so you've got to moderate to win the Liberals. Actually, if you do that, you say there's no difference and you might as well vote Liberal because there's no difference. There must be a difference. There must be socialism. People will be enthusiastic for socialism. Let's build socialism. Till next time on The Radical Reverend Show. Thanks so much for listening in.